Suspend your disbelief. Let yourself be led down a path into the world of the paranormal, where ghosts, shadow people, cryptids, aliens, and all things supernatural dominate. Immerse yourself in a dimension of ominous trepidation with your hosts, Dan, Danny, and Rachel. Welcome to the Phantom Faction Podcast. Uh, welcome to this edition of Phantom Faction Podcast. I'm Danny. I'm Dan. And I'm Rachel. And here we are together once again. And we've had some uh, interesting subjects over the last uh, number of weeks. Yeah, they're getting different. Some dogman stuff and uh, what else? They all, well, they all kind of merge into one after a while. It's true. It's true. <laughs> yeah. We, as we know, almost everything all relates anyway. You know, it's it's all part of the paranormal, whether That's we're right. talking about cryptids or uh, talking about aliens, uh, it uh, all seems to relate somehow. It's all the woo-woo factor, right? We are continuing along with our cryptid talk. Not something that we usually talk about, but it is a nice, a nice change of pace to talk about something other than, you know, psychic mediums or ghosts and goblins and that sort of thing and uh we have another guest a friend of mine a new friend and uh, we have been on some uh some sasquatch searching adventures up in northern ontario and uh we'd like to introduce o'neill how are you doing good how are you i'm very good thanks very much it's an honor Good, good. Thank you very much. I don't know how much of an honor it is, but uh, we'll take it. <laughs> As I know, uh, firsthand, you have a uh, real vested interest in uh, Sasquatch Bigfoot. Before we get into your stories, uh, where did uh, where did all this interest come from? Uh, 1975. <laughs> I know the date because that's... Uh, I, I mean, I had interest since I was a child, but... Um, my father was very open to the subject, so that helped. Uh, it was a documentary called The Mysterious Monsters back in 75. And I remember they took me to the theater to see that one. And it just, uh, I mean, I was interested in the subject and all that. But once that, that movie came out, that documentary just solidified the fact that these creatures existed. So even at a young age, I was 10 at the time, um, that just started it all and then over the years i read books by john green if you remember the apes among us um and a few a few books back then not as much as they have now but i've always had an interest in the subject but it really started in 2003 the journey of investigating um because although i believed in the subject i thought i knew what they were i thought i had it all figured out i thought it was a big giant lumbering ape kind of making its way through you know the country and then uh an officer i am a police officer been now for 30 years um a friend of mine well my training officer back in 1991 he was my training officer if you can imagine archie bunker um you know grumpy uh just like hockey policing hunting that's it I, I read a, a report on BFRO. I saw, I saw the website and it said, Toronto police officer has encountered Northern Ontario, something to that effect. So I contacted them and said, can you, can you give them my name? I know you can't give witnesses names out. So they said, sure. Anyways, two days later, the phone rings and the guy on the other end says, O'Neill. And I said, I'll just say his first name, Jim. And it was, the guy I worked with, and he had, it's on the BFR, it's an excellent report. He's even written like a police officer, the synopsis and everything. He had a full face-on encounter with one up in Searchmount, Ontario. And then I met him that night. I said, can we meet? We met at a pub. He took a napkin out. He drew it all on a napkin. Um, he was, he said he'll never go up there again. And he's been hunting and outdoorsman for like, I think he said something like 40 years by then. He was really shaken up. Really? So that caused me to say, okay, now I need to invest, start investigating. So then I jumped on the BFRO expedition in 2004, my first one in Ohio. So then I haven't looked back since. So his encounter was something that really affected him then? He was, um, he, his words to me on the phone, when he said, O'Neill, I said, Jim? And he's like, you, you're the guy? <laughs> he said, had I had the sighting and I told you about it, he says, I know, I would have told you you're nuts. I go, oh, how ironic that it's you. And he says, I don't care what anyone says. I know what I saw. Um, 
So I said, don't worry, Jimmy. I believe in, I believe in them. He's like, really? I go, let's meet up. And we did. And we talked about it. And he was frightened. He's like, I'm never going back there. Because I said, let's go up there. Let's go up there. Let's check it out. He goes, I'm not going, I'm not going up there. And I was willing to drive all the way up to Search Mount, which is like a, I don't know, like a seven-hour drive or something like that. He says, nope, I'm never going back there again. He did everything, but that scared the hell out of me. So he had an actual sighting then? Oh, yeah. Wow. He saw it, like, face, head on. Like, he, he described it, the muscularity, everything. And it was, yeah, he scared him. Hmm. Then he never went to the Search Mount area again or just stayed no, out of the yeah, bush? he would never hunt in that area again. Wow. He hunted everywhere. He loves hunting, but he um, he never went back to Search Mount. <clears throat> Yeah, uh, you you, hear, you often hear uh, a lot of stories where people, like even police officers, you know, guys that have been, uh, you know, in some very uh, crazy, inc- you know, crazy scenarios, yeah. and and where you think, well, this guy, you know, he's a, he's a tough guy, he's been trained, he's he's got, uh, you know, he's got a good head on his shoulders, and then you hear about these people who like have these sightings, and and they're like, nope, I'm never going back in the bush again, and. Uh, it's a profound effect on on people. Hearing it from other people, obviously, it's good enough for me, the testimony from so many witnesses spanning centuries. But when you hear it from someone like that, he wasn't into the subject. He would have laughed his butt off had I said that to him back if he didn't have that experience. He was just, I told you, chicken wings, hockey, policing, hardcore cop, <laughs> just a tough tough guy um so i was shocked but it really elevated the belief in okay i I need to look into this and that got me off the couch and into the investigative field which will bring us to two encounters that you've had in the u.s of all places encounters in the u.s yeah and then one here in uh, last summer that i that i told you about but yeah Mm -hmm. some crazy encounters in the um in the in the states well do you want to start us off with one of them Sure. Um, just to preface it a bit, I went to, okay, there's a, there's a park in Ohio. So I went there um, for an expedition with a group, uh, with the BFRO actually. Um, and I went there the first time. So the first time we went there, it's in Beaver Creek State Park. Um, we took a trail along there. Me and a buddy of mine from Michigan, Fred, I'll call him, uh, that's his first name. And we, we hit it off. We kind of thought the same way. I kind of called him Scully. Because he was kind of, he he was kind of a debunker. He was on the fence, so we had to constantly have conversations, which was good because then you had that yin and yang effect. I liked it, but he was a he was a, a no nonsense guy, and we just we just clicked. So we separated ourselves from the pack. We went. So that was in 2004, and we had a rock throwing incident on a certain uh, section of the trail called the Vondergreen Trail. Um, and so that was 2004 and that was, and then the next day when I investigated the scene, I took a photo of it too. I found a knuckle print because I kind of gauged where the rock came from because I know it didn't come through the trees. I would have heard the where the rock passes through the hits, the branches. So I went to an area above it, which was like a rock ledge. And when I went there, I found a knuckle print when it kind of pressed into the soft earth as it made its way up the hill behind the rock a picture of it it was like a gorilla's knuckle print i have my picture of my knuckles in there and it's like three times four times the size of i couldn't even get the span of his knuckle print and i found a 14 and a quarter inch footprint so that was 2004 so 2006 we did a private expedition i went with fred again and we went there so i knew approximately where the rock throwing incident was so i thought you know what let's check it out again so we went to the southern end of Vondergreen Trail. It was a little parkette. We could just kind of park the vehicle, headed out around 10 o'clock at night. So we made our way up this very narrow um, game trail that goes northbound along, well, I started in the south end, so it's going to go northbound uh, along Beaver Creek. So on the left side of me was about 10 feet of trees, if you can imagine, and then the river on the other side. And on the right side is pure trees. So we're heading off. And as soon as we get to the beginning of the trail, we find uh, a tree. It's about six inches in diameter, broken off at about the four foot mark, but twisted completely around, not just a break, but completely twisted around. So 
that's the first thing we notice. We're like, wow, okay, a break is one thing, but what has the power? And nothing else is disturbed in the area, no other trees. So if the, you know, there's no tornadoes in the area, but if there had been, it would have wrecked a bunch of other things. It was just this tree completely twisted, fresh. It wasn't old. So, okay, so that sparked our interest. That kind of set the pace. So off we go on the trail. And uh, well, we got, we were walking for about a half hour. I wasn't quite sure what that rock throwing incident, but I knew approximately where it was. So we're going along and I'm walking and it was very quiet, dark. I remember there wasn't too much light from a moon. We had our headlamps on, but one thing I refuse to do on expeditions, if I can help it, I don't put the lights on. They don't like the lights. Now I have it always on red. If I need it for emergency, they can, red is not too bad, but they hate the white light. So I don't want to spook them with the white light. So anyways, we didn't turn on it on. We just walked. I was in front. Fred was behind me. It was only wide enough for one person and we're walking along. And I heard that distinctive to my right, probably about, I had to guess about, geez, about 30 feet to the right of me in the tree line, that disinfant snap, crack of someone just walking. So I just quietly said to Fred, I think there's one to our right. Him being the skeptic, whatever, it could be a bear, it could be a deer. Okay, fair enough. He just kept walking and I heard it behind us. I heard this thing, there's a snap behind us. So I go, I think there's now one behind us too. And then about 10 yards further, I hear one to the to the left, back of us to the left, that, that uh, 10, 15 foot span of trees between us and the river. So, and, and, and now I hear them more frequently. So I'm pretty confident now that there's at least three following us. So we get to a certain point, walking, we're walking, and then I hear that first splash that I anticipated too. S splash about, I would say a cantaloupe-sized rock if I could just kind of envision the size of the splash in the rivers, you know, plunging noise. I went, there it is. In my head, I'm going, there it is. It's starting now. So I said, there it is, Fred, and he's got his, he's, trying to get his, his audio recording. Uh, he's kind of fiddling with it. I don't know what he was doing, but he's kind of fiddling with his equipment. Um, then another rock plunges into the water, a little bit bigger. So we're standing there. Now we've stopped on the trail. And now, like I tell you, the trail is about, uh, I'd estimate about four feet wide. And then just the tree line begins on both sides. And let's say on the left side of the river. So I'm facing to the right of me, which is the tree line away from the river, because something seems to be making more noise in there. And I'm hearing the rock splashing, but I'm figuring, just thinking back now, it could be coming from the other side of the river. Um, so they could be trying to distract us, is my kind of what I'm thinking now. Then I hear this loud thump in the tree line to my right, where, where the forest part is, about have I had to guess it'd be no more than 12 to 15 feet in the tree line. Now this was a, a heavy thump. I could feel it vibrating right through the ground to me. I kind of jumped a bit. I said to Fred, he's, he's throwing a boulder because it sounded like he picked up a boulder and threw it on the ground to make this big thud. And then the whole ground shook. But then the thud happened again on the same spot and again, and then I go, I know what this, what's happening. Those are foot stomps. Much like we try to shoo a dog away or something, they just, they stomp to the front of them. I heard about it, I've never experienced it. But now I'm hearing and feeling this loud, dull thud over and over. The rocks are splashing behind us. The thuds are coming in front of us. So now the activity is really picking up. I'm, I'm feeling they really don't want us there because now they're doing both. Um, so as I'm standing there, <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, we want to stay here, but maybe we should get moving. All of a sudden, I feel a tap on my chest and something hits me in the chest and falls right in front of me. So now I'm like, okay, now he threw something at me. So now I have to turn on my light. I turn on my headlamp on the red. I look down and there's about a five to six inch little twig about as thick as my finger frayed on both ends as if 
It snapped it on both ends and flicked it at me. It hit me right in the chest. And I see that now the foot stomps are getting more severe. Then for some reason, I looked up the trail after I looked at the stick. And you can imagine a huge boulder kind of along the tree line. I would say it was about four feet high, just a massive boulder kind of edging its way in the trees. Soon as my light starts to hit the boulder, something just explodes off the boulder. Like I said to Fred afterwards, I think if I can imagine it by the sounds of it, something was crouched on there or standing on there. And if you can imagine jumping off that boulder, something heavy, it kicked up dust and rocks and everything flew. All my light caught was uh, dust and rocks. Just boom, came right off the rock. But the funny thing is, I didn't hear where it landed. There was nothing. There wasn't the sound of foliage. There wasn't the sound of a, of a thud of it landing. It was just an explosion. My light catches it, and the whole area within about 10-foot radius is just the dust kicked off the rock and all the debris and everything, pieces of wood and, and whatnot. That's when we kind of said, all right, they don't want us here. Let's, let's get going. So we started going forward towards that rock and just whatever reason we just went forward forward about a hundred yards that the the splashes continued the, the stomping stopped but the splashes continued and we had to kind of go down an eight eight foot drop we didn't know where that was leading but it kept dropping to the trail so it was just like an eight foot drop we slid down onto the trail about 200 yards down around that everything stopped mm-hmm. so then we got um <laughs> So we're like kind of gathering ourselves like, okay, um, we made our way, I believe, to the parking lot, which was, it's a two kilometer trail. So we made our way north, hoping to catch up with the other group. Uh, We did get a ride back to our car and then we ride back at camp. The interesting thing is that there was a second group that were making their way down from the north because we split up that night. There was a guy in that group, ex-Marine, a skeptic, he actually laughed at his buddy bringing him. He thought it was funny. He thought it was a big joke. He thought we we're all crazy. But he came for the camping trip, so to say. About half a kilometer away from our incident, they had a more violent incident of a tree shake and and vo- 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 sorry vocals that frightened them so much they retreated back where they came from. They didn't even make their way down towards us. That's because I said to them, we never met up. Why didn't you, why don't we meet up? Because that was the plan. And they said, we went back because it scared us so bad. And that guy was sitting there at the campfire, quiet as a church mouse, white as a ghost, not saying anything. Uh, we didn't chirp him or nothing, but I'm thinking, oh, you see, you careful, careful what you say. And <laughs> I, we had a more violent experience though. So Dan, that kind of brings me to one of my theories that they, they sense intent. I go in with, no intent, obviously, to harm them. Not that I could, but I think we have a pure intent. They were actually gentle with us. Like, when I think of it now, as much as they want us out of there, that little tiny stick, here's this massive, powerful being, throws this little tiny stick, which could almost be humorous. Do they have a sense of humor? Or almost like a, I could hurt you, but I'm not. I'm just going to throw this little stick at you. A lot of things played in my head since I can't get that incident out of my head. The only thing I kicked myself with is I didn't pick down, I didn't bend down and pick it up. Mm. Oh, it had a nice souvenir. I didn't, but if things got too hairy um, and I just felt they wanted us out of there. And that's the same spot two years before they threw the rock. So there's something about that spot on the, on the Vonder Green Trail. Mm. I wanted to get back there, but when COVID hit last year, uh, Fred and I, uh, we made plans. He's in Michigan. We wanted to get back there, so I wanted I wanted to do a third trip back there. Yeah, and I'd, I'd much rather get a little stick in the chest than a bowling ball sized rock for sure. <laughs> right? I mean, here yeah. are stories of how aggressive they can be, but that was they treated me pretty gentle uh, from what they could do for foot stomps, a little little twig, some rocks in the water. So it, it also seems like you almost caught one of them off guard because you almost walked up on them, you know, with the explosion of dirt and, and twigs and dust going everywhere and it took off. And so, you know, it might've been, might've been focused on something else or daydreaming and you almost, you almost had a sighting. I, I got them probably off guard because I had no lights on and 
when the lights came on and then I looked, just looked that way. I wasn't looking for any, I was just trying to see where we can go. You're right. I, I, he was probably, I can just imagine crouching on that rock, looking at us on the trail. And then just boom, he was gone. As soon as the light hit the rock, it exploded. We didn't even get a chance to get the light on the rock. It was just coming up onto the rock. It was gone. But the weird thing is, I never heard it land or even foliage crash and or nothing where it could have jumped to. Just boom, and that was it. And then dust and rocks in the air. Yeah. I heard nothing else. Yeah, that's another thing you hear about how nimble they are and you know for such you know a thousand pound plus animal you know can move with such grace and like run through a bush without making a sound it's it's crazy um right in that area in and around that area i'm on the trail and daylight now and i hear crashing coming down from the bushes thundering crashing through the bushes i'm looking up it's a deer and that deer is coming it's a big doe coming straight down the hill, coming right at me like a freight train. I'm like, this deer's not veering away. It's coming right at me. It's coming, it's coming. Something frightened it so much, it came to me. And I'm telling you, I could have just put my hand on it. I had my walking stick, my hiking stick ready in case we collided. And I just, I actually stepped a little bit out of the way and this doe goes within a couple of feet of me, right past me, does a big leap into the river, Across the river, gone, and that's all in about the area. It almost like look look to you for protection, almost or like a, a barrier between you and whatever was chasing it, right? And that's what I'm hearing a lot is you know like hunters <laughs> they come to camp and these deers kind of find them the lesser of evils. That's right. Um, it, it was coming right at me, Dan. It, it wasn't. It, it was <laughs> down the hill. I'm thinking, is this gone mad? Like he's got the rabies? Why is he coming at me? Yeah. At me. Literally, I could have reached out and, and touched it as it passed right by me. I had lots of room to veer away from me long ago, you know? Mm-hmm. That's like, uh, I, I think I told you this when we were around the campfire there last summer. Me and a, a couple of the Ontario Sasquatch people were in the North Bay area. Uh, at night, we had like three sets of eye shine from what we believe were, were Sasquatch. And when we looked behind us, there was three or four deer standing within feet of us and uh, like we could have spit on them. And it was almost like, and you know, the consensus between the group was like the, the deer were keeping us between them and whatever was after them yeah. as like a, you know, a, a bit of a barrier or a protector, but it was, I've never seen deer act like that before in my life. Like usually they're so skittish, right? Boom, right. they, they take when off. Like When you want to see them, they take off. They're not. They're <laughs> yeah. But when you, it's funny. A lot of people talk about this. What is it that you, when you go looking for them, that you, you seem to look for them at night? Are they a nocturnal more animal or? Um, I, I get, okay, I cleaned out the, the bat database for BFRO back in 06. There was, a, there was around 80 pending reports. And a lot of those reports were days too, Danny. Um, but they seem to be more active or let's say more uninhibited at night because um, mm-hmm. people do run into them in the day. They cross the roads. Um, I usually use the day to look for physical evidence because obviously you can't see it at night as well. So for footprints and whatnot, um, I just choose night because they seem to come to you. Mm-hmm. They, I think out of the cloak of darkness, it gives them a little more security and they can get like I say, I, I would have estimated those foot stomps were 12 to 15 feet. If that was during the day, I, I could have seen through the trees a bit and seen whatever was making it. But I think it, they feel more secure in the night. So I think this is usually the best time to get some kind of interaction. That's why we choose the night. I do go out in the day too. It's just that so far, I haven't had any encounters in the day. Other investigators have. I haven't personally. You're listening to Phantom Faction Podcast. To reach out to Phantom Faction, see our Facebook page or email us directly at phantomfaction at outlook.com. And you have another uh, story for us from the U.S. So we went to Whitehall, New York. The famous Whitehall, New York, where those police officers had that encounter uh, back in the uh, 70s. I believe it was um, uh, the Whitehall monster, whatever they called it. But there was an encounter that was uh, well-documented with the police department in Whitehall. Um, so we went there and um, a group of us again, again along a river. It was this peninsula. Um, 
in Whitehall. So we went out there late at night. Um, and one of the members of the group, so you can imagine, again, we have this path. Imagine it's a bigger path this time, but about eight foot path. And on the right side of us, as we're traveling, is an open field. The left side, again, is bushes and trees that go about 10, 12 feet, and then a river. A river, it's about 40, 50 feet wide, and then it goes on to a peninsula. And the only way to get that peninsula was to cross that river. So we're walking along. There was a group of us. I think there was something like eight of us, something like that. Uh, it's always a little bit harder with a larger group. I don't prefer traveling in large groups, but it's just the way it worked out. Uh, Fred was with me again. Somebody had an idea. It was quiet, quiet night. And Fred had, uh, sorry, another guy had an idea that he'll play some music. Maybe that it will elicit something. So he had his pickup truck. So he goes back. And because there was an open field there, he could drive his truck up. And he had these, I didn't, I didn't, I thought he meant he was bringing a radio plate. He had speakers in the back of this pickup. So we blast this um, flute music, like native flute music, but he really blasted it, if you can imagine, like it, it, was, it was loud. As soon as he blasted that, I wouldn't have given it, if I can't remember correctly, but it wasn't probably more than 30 seconds when a large boulder was thrown in the water from the other side of the river. That big plunging noise, one started. So like right away, here we go. So he's blasting this music. They hated it so much. I counted, uh, I told the guys afterwards, there were about 15 to 20 boulders thrown into the water. That's how frequently they were coming. So we're standing there. I told everyone to spread out. Don't don't stand in a bunch. Let's you know. Let's, we can see something. So we're we're spread out. And I'm an amateur still at this point. I'm not that I'm a professional at any by any means now. But at those, that was my second or third expedition. I'm still trying to figure things out here. So it's fairly new to me. Had I known now, that probably wouldn't have been the best course of action to antagonize them. But that's what it was. And we're trying to peer over the across the river. Pretty dark. I've got a lot of foliage in front of me and these boulders are coming in. Now these boulders are coming in anywhere within a span of 40 or 50 yards. It's like they were standing on the other side because they weren't all splashing in the same spot. Um, so I would say there was more than one. So they're going in the water, going in the water, no screams, no roars, just constant. And the boulders seem to be getting bigger. Like they weren't rocks anymore. They were literally boulders. So I was standing there and one of the rocks made it over the river. And I was standing in front of a group of bushes and all of a sudden I can hear something hit, hit the side and it came rolling through the brush, bushes. It shocked me. So I, I had my walking stick again. I thought there's something coming out of the bushes. I didn't exactly know what it was. And the rock kind of rolled through the bushes. So it launched this fair-sized rock, um, basketball-sized or volleyball-sized rock from across the river that made its way um, to our side. And I'm still standing there. And then the oddest thing happens. I'm standing there. And to this day, I, I, I don't know what I heard a podcast today, believe it or not. <laughs> it just happens to be today of all days. But I heard like a faint fluttering noise coming over. It sounded like it's coming over the bush and towards me, like a really faint. And it always had me mesmerized. I'm just standing there. I'm looking and I'm feeling almost this, this effect of this fluttering. And the only way I can describe it flowing over this bush. I have no idea what it was. And I kind of just wiped it out of my head and we continued on. Well, Fred had his recorder on. Um, then when the, when the music shut off, that was the end of the activity. No more boulders, no rocks, nothing. The rest of the night was quiet. Um, I think they just kind of made their point, weren't happy. Um, we headed back and, and on the way back, Fred said, um, he's going through his recording, you can hear the splashes and whatnot. And he goes, take a listen to this. And you hear this, that fluttering noise. And I went, I know, I heard that. And he's like, you heard that? He goes, I didn't hear that. I just caught it on here. So 
today on the podcast, I hear that um, a lot of times infrasound, that's the sound that's recorded because currently we can't hear infrasound. And on the recording, as the waves are hitting the recorder, it comes in pulses and has this fluttering sound. And, and as soon as the guy in the podcast, I said, is he going to say it? He said, like a fluttering noise like this. I went, you got to be kidding me. Oh, that's a nice val- that's a nice validation though, isn't it? All these years, all these years, Dan, I, I couldn't think <laughs> what it was. And I thought it back my mind, is he going to say fluttering? I hope he says fluttering. He does. And I'm thinking, that's what it, now, again, not knowing what it was, it was the strangest thing. It, it didn't have any effect on me as far as making me sick or anything, but it, it just seems to flow over the, it was just very strange occurrence to happen just when we're having activity with these beings. And there's so many strange attributes associated with them uh, and that's what makes it stranger the more i look into this i thought i had everything figured out i had nothing figured out nothing and it just gets deeper and deeper that's right and you know uh, you know i listen to sasquatch chronicles quite a bit uh and uh love the show that wes does and i remember once when when he said well he was talking to dr john bindernagel and he said, "Well, you know, they're they're this and that, and, and there's there's no other explanation to them." And, and Dr. John Bindernagel said, "Well, I guess you got it all figured out then, you know, because yeah. you know he was looking at the paranormal right. side of things, you know the, the you know the weird things that are always associated, it seems, with with Bigfoot, and you know when, when we're talking about like the infrasound and." how silent they can be for such a huge, uh, creature. And, yeah. you know, um, and I, I really, you know, listening to uh, Sasquatch Chronicles, he, he was like, well, you know what? He says it kind of, kind of made him pause and, and take a step back and say, well, you know what, you know, there's so many stories of weird phenomena around them that maybe they're, they're not just a big hairy ape running around the bush there's there's so much more to them right. you know uh, you know people have ufo sightings um with them people have uh you know they see the orbs the lights going through the bush um all sorts of crazy stuff so you know and that like the the sound that you just spoke of with the infrasound like that's fascinating i've never heard that before so i'm glad that you actually brought that up yeah, I mean, some people, they, they, there's, there was one debate I heard one time on, on the internet. Um, somebody was angry. I guess he was more of the science side of it, arguing that you guys don't know what infrasound is. This is not infrasound. So uh, I could be labeling it wrong. I think, I think people get caught up in the argument over, it's not infrasound. This is what infrasound is. Fair enough. It may not be, let's just say, but it is exhibiting something because people do get sick. I know people that have fallen asleep that you couldn't wake them up. And the other person's wide awake in the tent. The other word, the other person's unconscious. I mean, and this, oh. and this Sasquatch was pressing down on top of the tent. They could see the handprint coming down towards them. He's freaking out. And his partner is out cold. Couldn't wake her up at all for the life of him until the incident was over. Um, so they can, um, exhibit something and whether it's infrasound but it's something like much like orcas can uh can exhibit something to stun uh you know fish um lions and tigers they roar the roar has something which can uh, temporarily paralyze the prey enough for them to close the distance elephants do at the bottom of their feet like other animals do it but predatory animals they um they use it for other purposes so it's it whether it's infrasound or not they're doing something mm-hmm. yeah I, I spoke to a lady who uh she heard the roar and then uh she lost complete control of her bowels and was terrified like beyond scared and you know dropped all her hunting equipment and and left her crossbow there and her, her backpack and everything and, and tore out of there and drove home you know, after having a, you know, an accident <laughs> in her right. pants. And uh, she said, she said the only thing she could think of was, was infrasound. On this podcast mentioned that and said, well, a lot of times when people have a big adrenaline dump or a very, are frightened to death, these things can happen. However, a lot of people have these symptoms for days. Mm-hmm. 
of an adrenaline dump. It doesn't last for days. I mean, especially nausea and uh, headaches and um, all these other things uh, they're having that sometimes last for a couple of days. So, yeah, I realize fear and adrenaline can sometimes bring on some of these symptoms uh, that people are talking about. Um, but um, it's, it's something else. Like um, like I say, like one friend of mine went to Bella Coola and had this um, – hand pressing down because he didn't want to look outside the tent and the look and the partner's snoring in a deep sleep and she was just awake a minute ago and he could not wake her up when it was over she goes what happened he goes i couldn't wake you up and this thing's pressing down on our tent so she goes i'm glad i wasn't awake during that kind of thing so <laughs> no kidding they they can they have some kind of which which then this, this is the thing Again, I respect everyone's opinion, and everyone has their own opinion. And what I always say is, no one has it figured out because, you know, all we are is we have theories and, and speculation and whatnot based on our own experiences, our upbringing, and whatnot. So we each have our own kind of mindset on what it is. And some, if someone says they think it's a Gigantopithecus that made its way from Asia, I I don't agree with it, but I'm not going to say they're wrong. I just have my own view on it based on my experiences and I think if it was something like a gorilla in that same family like gorillas, orangutans, gibbons, chimpanzees, well ask, you know, John, Diane Fossey's not here anymore but Jane Goodall is or anyone that's done work with great apes, they've never had any unusual let's say paranormal type activity studying chimpanzees, gorillas and orangutans. That's right. But people that, that, that do any kind of research with Sasquatch and encounters, they're strange things. Like you say, the orbs, um, infrasound, the glowing eyes that aren't reflective eyes, but they, they can glow by themselves without any kind of reflective light. Mm -hmm. right? So they're self-illuminating. So eye shine is really not a correct term because eye shine is usually when you shine a light and it reflects. It illuminates by itself. So a lot of unusual attributes that the Sasquatch have um, that you know, the great apes that we talk about um, don't have. And That's right. they're just different. They're different beings. I call them beings because um, uh, so, I think there's something totally different. Yeah, I think um, the fact of the location, the, you know, the energy that a forest would give off, the trees are full of energy. Uh, you mentioned that uh, usually in your sightings you've been around water as well which, so right. that energy could be taken by these beings i'm going to call them beings yeah. um, they've actually tapped into giving them a little more power than us human beings i would say that that possibly that they could disappear because of changing their vibrational level which we've talked about on a, on previous programs uh, is that something that you would believe in 100 percent yeah, hundred percent. See, I'm more of that mindset, and you're going to get investigators that will would hate me for saying that, because some of them just uh, I hate to say the motivation for some is just to prove to science to get science acceptance. You have to be more along the theory of Gigantopithecus, great ape making their way across the Bering Strait, and and more something natural. I'm with you on that, hundred percent. I. I think we're dealing with something highly unusual and it's our lack of knowledge of them um, that just, you know, it, it's hard to explain. And, and if you explain what you just said, which I talk about quite often with other researchers that are open to it, um, we talk about that quite often. And there are more than you think they think like that, but it, because it's not widely accepted and they're trying to get the acceptance for science, that's taboo. But mm -hmm. I'm not trying to prove anything to science. I'm just very interested in the subject. I'm, I'm not trying to prove anything to anyone other than myself. I would just like to know where they come from, what they actually are. Love to see one up close. So I have different motivations. So if, if science doesn't want to accept what I say, fair enough. I understand that. But um, I'm along with you. This It could be they have something to do with nature. Obviously, you're right. Uh, with their, and, and now you got the... The vibrations and the frequencies, as you say, um, are they extraterrestrial? Were they brought here by extraterrestrials? Are they interdimensional? I don't know. I just think we can discuss it as intelligent people. I mean, it's more open now. It's more accepted now to talk about this than 1970. 
Um, people are more open to the fact that there is life outside of planet Earth. Um, and I think this is somehow tied into that. I just think it's a total different being. Mm -hmm. O'Neill, you've got one more uh, Sasquatch-related story from Ontario this time. Yeah. And uh, why, why don't we get into that real quick? Sure. So we rented a, a cottage. We always do a family cottage um, in uh, every summer. So we rented one um, in Madawaska Valley. It's uh, kind of the southern eastern area of Algonquin Park. Um, funny thing is, Dan, when I when I booked it and I and I saw the photos, I don't know how to describe it. But I looked at the photos and I thought, hmm. Wouldn't be interested if Sasquatch was there. It was a bit of a creep factor with the cottage, but it looked cool because it was isolated. I like the isolation, so we rented it. Um, tough to get into. That's a whole other story. Um, and we got there in one piece to the cottage and saw it was very isolated. Beautiful, though, on a small lake. And uh, the lake was about a kilometer, by half a kilometer. Had some trout and stuff for the kids to fish. So... Sitting by the fire, made a fire, it was the Monday night, I believe. Uh, made a nice, I always like to make a huge bonfire, a level, a level bonfire, sitting there, have a nice stogie. And all of a sudden, I hear a howl. I hear a howl right across the lake, half a kilometer across the lake. It's, we're just sitting there in the dead of the night. You hear this clear howl. And, and may, right away, I knew what it was. I've heard the howls before. Um, or wolves before, coyotes, and this howl, I, I didn't have my equipment because, like I say, I wasn't going there for an investigation. Uh, the kids took it on their cell phones. I don't carry it with me when I'm down at the fire, up at the cottage, and we caught it, and it, you can hear the long howl, and it always has a gurgle on the end. Funny to describe. If you, you have to put headphones on to hear it, but you can hear it clearly with headphones, and it's a long howl, and it ends up with this humanoid gurgle is all I can kind of, you'd have to listen to it to understand what I mean, but it does it every time it does howl. It usually goes in volleys of three and four, and it stops for a little while. So right away I said, hey guys, you're listening to actual Sasquatch. And I'm like, whoa, everybody's listening and recording it. It was all nice, you know. I was 99% sure, so I can't say it was 100. I was 99% sure, so I did send it to uh, Matt Moneymaker, who, uh, I'm friends with him. He got me started in this. So I'll always be friends with Matt. He's always treated me well. I bounced it off him when I got back home. He said, yep, you got a genuine Sasquatch house. So I go, yeah, I was sure. I just had to bounce it off a, a, another trained ear. So fair enough. While we're there, um, this is going on. And now the family wants to hear about Sasquatch and the expeditions and whatnot. So we got in a bit of Sasquatch talk. And then the dog started acting funny. I have a Bouvier. Loves to stay outside, especially go to the cottage, always outside. And I can see him making his way up the stairs, a high set of stairs up to the cottage and crying to get into the cottage. So I'm like, that's unusual. Never wants to go inside when we go to the cottage. And he's making a fuss and uh, calling him, getting mad at him. Come back down here, come back down here. He's crying. Fine, let him into the cottage. So when the fire died down around midnight, Went upstairs, usually the kids watch a movie or something. So we're sitting up there. As soon as we go in, there's a loud crack, branch break. Pack. My wife heard it distinctly. What was that? And I know some people thinking with me was a crackle from the fire. And the fire was died right down to like coals. This was a snap. And I know where it came from, the fire. If we're looking outside the back of the cottage, it came to the left where there's a trail there. A large snap. So, okay, fair enough. <laughs> kind of looked out from the, you know, the windows, balcony. Um, we were winding down, went to bed and uh, sleeping. And I remember, because I had my clock beside me, I just had a funny feeling. Exactly, I think it was 3.31, I got it written down. Something hits the cottage. Bang! soon as it's, it kind of woke up right in the middle of the hit, I was, I was in my light sleeper. So bang, it shakes this two-story cottage. I knew exactly what it was. I get up, I start walking through the cottage. Everyone's in bed. Dogs didn't move off their couches. And um, I'm peering through the glass 
it's pitch dark. I knew I wasn't getting anything unless I started fumbling around. Even if I took a light out there, I, I, I knew what's going on. But I wanted to make sure everybody was okay. I wanted to double check to make sure it was in bed and wasn't something dropped, even though I knew what it was. But I got to do my due diligence and is it really what I think it was? Sure enough. But I didn't know my cousin's wife heard it too. Everyone else slept. My cousin's wife heard it too. And then she heard me come in and check. Went back to bed. Then about an hour later, well, maybe half an hour, between 4 and 4.30, something scraping the outside and making like a mumbling noise. Like, like mumbling and scraping the side of the cottage. Again, um, and I was coming from the south, uh, I'm going to say the south side where the lake is, that side of the cottage. And that happened. So then, okay, here we go. It's They're, they're outside. Um, then woke up. We talked about it a bit. Um, his, his wife had no idea about Sasquatches, but that kind of, wow, okay. <laughs> she, she heard me go on an expedition, but I think she was always very skeptical of it. But now I said, listen, you heard the howls, you heard the slap, you heard the scrape, you heard the mumbling. I go, listen, how many more things need to happen in one night for you to realize that these beings exist? Continued on the next night. And, and you know what? And Dan, I know we had this conversation, the one room, no one would sleep in the one room. That's right. I was going to I was gonna ask you to bring up the other weird part about the cottage. Well, just to back it up a bit for Danny and Rachel, when we got there, um, I have a little sensibility to these things, but my daughter has a lot more. She actually sees apparitions. As soon as we entered the cottage, I thought, this is weird. I was trying to be positive, but I was like, as soon as I got in there, I went, this is weird. This is kind of, this is not a good feeling in here. But I'm going, hey, isn't this great? Oh, great. Oh, look at this. Nice, nice layout. But I'm like, I'm inside. I'm like, something's not right. I didn't say anything, though. And then... <laughs> Went upstairs and my daughter wanted her own room. She's all set and I go, okay, here's your room. And she's like, I'm not sleeping in there. And it was the room facing the lake. It has a little balcony on it. And it had like an iron old bed on it, like on those own, almost hospital bed, like iron bed, you know, with the iron, uh, what you might call it? Uh, the headboards. Headboard and the, at the base, just like piping kind of, and it had a rocking chair there. It had a doll in there and two crawl space doors. And you open it up, it went just kind of into nowhere. Weird. Just a weird room. And it just had a not a good feel. So no one slept. Like, we, my wife and I were in one room. The kids were on the bunk bed. The other ones were on the sofa. And my, and my daughter, she, she went on the sofa. The bunk bed, she switched out. No one, no one would stay in there. Um, the next day I asked, I said, um, what's the matter? And she said, something's not right with this house. I said, okay. Yeah, I felt it too, but I didn't want to say anything. She goes, no, no, something's not right with this house. So I go, okay. I didn't, I didn't get into it too much. I didn't want to freak because my cousin's wife a little bit frightened. She won't even watch horror movies. She's frightened. I didn't want to spoil <laughs> So I didn't get into that. And it was you that told me uh, you checked the reviews on this cottage. And a lot of people had said, this place is haunted. And, they came back, you know? <laughs> and, they got, and the one guy goes, nice place, nice scenery, isolated shirt. But other than one room, your place is haunted. And I said to my family, I go, look, look, look at this. Look, someone said it. We're right. And it wasn't just us. And she's like, oh, my God. And my wife's looking at it. And it's like, see? I go, something's on that's when we met then I said, can you have a look in there? And then, well, you sent me a picture of all the rooms and I, yeah. and I remote viewed the cottage and which room did I single out as being the hotspot was that one that nobody would sleep in, right? No one would sleep in. Yeah. And I, I picked up on an old man, uh, a miserable old man in that room. He didn't want anybody in there. That was his spot. So, yeah. It's, yeah. I just get the creep factor. So I have that sensibility, but my, my my uh, daughter, she she sees them like she sees shadow people. She's seen my parents like the, the story she tells. She just they just come to her like she can see it. So she didn't see him per se the the apparition you're talking about. She could feel she, him though. Right away she wanted no part of it, and she she they're not. I'm going back again. I booked it for September for four nights because I want to get better howls, and um, they're not coming. <laughs> Better take me with you. <laughs> 
you can come. They won't come. All so right. Said, everybody said, that's your trip. Um, I was prepared to go alone. I think uh, a couple of people want to come to fish, but I'm like, well, I booked it for three nights and four days because I want to um, go on the trail a bit and I want to get a better howl and see what else and uh, activity and get the Sasquatch and let's see what happens. Because um, my car, I lost my catalytic converter just in front of the cottage. Like the amount of damage done in that week. When I got there, I ripped off my catalytic converter. Then my back window smashed when I tried to back up. My wife's tire went flat outside. It's a Jeep. The tire went flat on the last day. My cousin's boat slid off the uh, trailer. Then we couldn't get it out going home. Like the stuff that happened, we can't believe it happened before in all the years of cottaging. It, every happened in this one week. Well, it's cursed. It's the cursed land. Well, right? They say the <laughs> angry we were coming there. Yeah, for sure. So much grief in there, but mechanically, like, like the cars and the boats all had trouble. Mm -hmm. um, O'Neill, those are awesome stories. And I know you have one more story, which is not Sasquatch related or ghost related, but it comes from your youth when you were just a toddler. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'd like you to tell that story real quick because that one is amazing, and people the people on the podcast will love it because it's so bizarre. You're the first guy outside the family I've ever told. Uh oh, now you're telling everybody. I'd be more than happy to tell everybody now. But awesome. uh, that was a it was a kept secret for I'm, I'm 55 now. It's a kept secret all this time. So, anyways, I'm I'm half Indian, half German. My uh, my father's Indian, mother's German. We lived in India when I was really young. I would have been about two two years old at this time, believe it or not. Going about about two 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 and a half. I do remember a few things at that age. I remember when a, a cow hit me in the stomach because I went to go pet the calf. I just remember the head seemed like it was ten feet wide, but it was a mother cow um, gently hit me in the stomach um, when I went to pet it. So I, I remember snippets at that age. So on this incident, it was it's clear as a bell. I remember to this day. People can say what they want, but I remember coming down because it was like a a large building that the family had. And you remember in India, my, my grandfather's businessman. I mean, it, it, it had this building just for the Descupta family. It was just a, a few families of us living in there. I think three or four stories high. So I came down. I came out of the door. I still remember. Uh, it's all like just kind of dirt and some scattered houses and buildings. As I come out the door, I got my hand on the wall and I go around to the left side of the building in this clearing. And it's standing in front of me are two, what I would describe as gray gargoyles or devils because they had horns. They were gray, kind of scaly, had tails. And the one had its back to me was holding some kind of a staff or something, uh, it looked like a staff or a pitchfork type I'm telling you, it had something in its hand, like, like a pitchfork or a staff. The one about 10 feet away from it was holding a barrel over its head like he was going to throw it at him. They were, they were fighting. The one with the barrel sees me and look. It was, it was, it was a beat-up barrel. Like, there's always junk lying around there. And it was looking at me. The one with its back to me was about, I would think, about eight feet away from me. He turns, his head just turns over his shoulder to look at me. Now they're both staring at me. They stopped fighting. That's as far as I can remember the incident. But to this day, I'll never forget it. They were completely gray, that prototypical gargoyle devil. Remember the movie? I don't know if you remember a movie called The Gargoyles. Um, oh, yeah. In the 70s. Kind of like that. The grayish body, scaly. Um, How tall were they? They were like a man's height. Like, oh, you know, okay. Too, so I couldn't say they were six feet, eight feet, but judging like from my dad and adults, right? They were adult size. Oh wow! Where they were, they were taller, short, like they were adult size. And they um, were having a little a punch up between the two of them. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and, and this little, this two and a half this two and a half year old baby breaks it up. Yeah, they. Right? I I'm pretty sure I heard verbals of some sort. That I can't hundred. I partially remember some verbals which caused me to go around the corner because I heard commotion. Maybe put it that way. I heard a commotion. I went around the corner. And I remember just standing there staring at them. 
and they just looked at me and stopped fighting. Um, I don't know how it ended if I walked away or whatnot, but I, I never forgot that incident to this day. It's clear as, it's clear as day. Wow. That's amazing. I told to my parents that they kind of shrugged it off over the years. I stopped telling, like I only told family. I think I've told my wife and my kids now because my kids are all open to paranormal and right. Sasquatch and whatnot. I've taught and, them early on. I've taught my kids when they saw things early on that you have a gift. Don't lose it. Like I did this from very young. I never tried to snuff it out. I always said, you're, you're, you're lucky. It's a gift. Don't lose it. Just tell me, what did you see? What did it look like? Where were you? Where was it? What was it doing? I asked all those questions. And so they keep it up. I didn't feel, oh, that's nice. Oh, what an imagination. Right. Well, that's a good attitude to have, right? So, Anil, you, I know you listen to the podcast and you're familiar with uh, Rachel a little bit and mm -hmm. what she does. Yeah. And uh, she sent, she started she started uh, smiling. And I, and I messaged her. I said, what are you grinning about? And I guess... While you were talking, she made some notes and she sent a picture of the notes. Uh, Rachel, what were you writing about? <laughs> what did you pick up on uh, O'Neill? <laughs> well, the very first thing I picked up was that you're a very intuitive person. <laughs> and um, actually, I have a little message for you, too. So I'm just going to give you that little message. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so... Um, I got that there's a relationship and I feel like it's a family connection that's finding some significant progress. Um, you're both feeling supported and understood and maybe appreciated. Um, you're supposed to embrace this connection and remember to give as much as um, you take to maintain that balance. And I know you'll figure out who this relationship is with. Um, but Wait, with that relationship with somebody here. Yeah. Or like like a relationship with, with somebody, um, around me, around you. Yeah. Okay. Um, that, that relationship too is, is part of helping you awaken like your intuitive abilities will keep increasing because of that relationship. And, um, you got to keep opening your heart too. That's, um, like let love in intuition will increase. <laughs> You're right. And um, just you got to keep working on that because there's more more information for you to come. And I think because you're so in, open for the uh, Bigfoot encounters, there's a reason for that. So keep searching, keep looking for the answers because you're going to get more than you're you're getting now. Um, right. But be patient with yourself. You're not going to get the answers tomorrow. Right. Um, right. And. Um, going into the woods is so good for you too. Cause that's almost like your meditation. So it's like, that's good. Keep, uh, keep doing that. And uh, that's part of your heart desire too. Right. Um, and it makes you reconnect with your inner child. I appreciate that. I, uh, that's another thing <laughs> I believe in uh, people that have that ability. So I appreciate you, you telling me that. No problem. Keep it up. You're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Maybe, maybe that, that little trip in September, you're going to find more than uh, you bargained for. Yeah. You know, funny said Rachel should say that because sometimes you just question yourself, like, why? Why me? I always tell my wife, like, I'm interested in things that don't make us a lot of money. <laughs> 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 like, I, I'm not a stocks guy. I'm not investing in land. And I, I, I have interests and passions for things that are. Oh, it makes you happy, though, right? Makes me happy, yeah. Yeah, that's all that's important. Yeah. No, I so. Well, it was great. I love the stories, you know, uh, I especially love the, uh, the little, the demons having the punch up back home in India, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, you know what, uh, there's a lot of weird stuff out there and I know more people experience things and then, than they let on. So thank you so much for, uh, sharing your stories with us. And, uh, I know you, you know, we'll have some more out of you one day. Yeah. You know, especially because you're retiring at the end of 2021, I hear. So you're going to have tons of time to research and spend, you know, hours in the bush. And it'll be well, good. We went to a different cottage. We'll see what's happening there. And it's called, I think it's called Plesna. Um, see if anything's there. I'm going back to this cottage and I am going back to a place in Tobogamy. A friend is letting me use their cabin. Yeah. And those are both, He's having three, those are both hot spots for Bigfoot sightings, Tobogamy and Algonquin. Oh, thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel, Danny. Thank, Thank you, you so much. <laughs>
Hope to see you again. All the best. Phantom Faction Podcast, a podcast to educate, entertain, assist, and guide anyone involved or interested in the paranormal. To reach out to Phantom Faction, see our Facebook page or email us directly at phantomfaction at outlook.com.